Wade Owen at our Nolansville campus and uh, continues to do great work out there. They are at capacity, adding a service, getting in the beginning stages of starting a mission out of Nolansville, which will be in Smyrna or in that area around there. We've got Station Hill, which is now starting one in Columbia, and that's the way we want it. We want as each campus engages another community and we start seeing that we have a, uh, a significant number of people coming from a community, then we want to start the church there that we can continue to expand that. So uh, we will soon be at um, uh, 10 campuses uh, getting there. And that's kind of, kind of some exciting stuff. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was down at uh, uh, Station Hill and we had the first meeting for those who were interested in starting a church in Columbia, 160 people showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and I was standing next to Jay and he started counting the leaders. And they looked at me and says, I don't know if I like this. I said, oh yeah, you didn't mind stealing them. You didn't mind taking them to Station Hill. Now all of a sudden you're getting all possessive of your leaders. <laughs> But that, uh, listen, that's a, that's a great problem to have. Please, Jesus, give us this problem. Uh, that's the one we want. And so we're excited to continue to, to work, reach throughout uh, Middle Tennessee as we identify new leaders and new opportunities and new chances to start new churches and repurpose those churches that are in uh, transition. Nothing is better. Nothing is better than a Saturday with nothing to do. Huh? Those rare days when you get up and there's nowhere to go, you don't have to be anywhere, you don't have to talk to anybody, it's just going to be a Saturday of me and college football. <laughs> huh? I don't have, I ain't stuff. So I'll grab my coffee and I'll grab the paper and I'll sit out there and maybe I'll flip through my iPad waiting for the games to start and Jeannie will come out and she'll look at me and go, what's wrong with your hair? <laughs> I mean, what's wrong with my hair? Well, it's sticking up everywhere. <laughs> and I remember that because I saw it earlier in the mirror. I just didn't do anything about it. It was Saturday. I didn't have to do anything about it. But you realize you've been walking around and, and then you go back in front of the mirror because now that your wife's called you out, you got to do something. So you go and, you look, and you're wondering, how did I sleep that my hair is like this? You know, did I sleep on top of my head or my forehead? How did I have to sleep that my hair is, is in this arrangement? You know, it's, it's kind of funny when your wife calls you out like that. It's not a good way to live. But according to James, it's an awful way to be look in the mirror and then not remember what you look like. To look in the mirror and not remember who you are. It's an old problem. James writes about it in the first chapter of his book. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone who is looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself 
and then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not forgetful, not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, now this person will be blessed in all that he does. For the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Make us doers of the word, O Lord, and not hearers only. We pray this in your name. The great reformer Martin Luther did not think that James should be in the New Testament. He called it an epistle of straw. If you understand his life and his context and the context of the Reformation, you can understand why he would be uncomfortable with this book. He came out of a church that would sell indulgences. That is, they would sell things that they called holy relics and you could buy them um, a piece of Peter's robe or, or something like that. And, and that's the way that the church raised its money. And because of that, and if you had so many indulgences, then you could, then you could be assured of salvation. And, and that's the way the church was working at that time. And Martin Luther, in his study of the scripture, the Psalms, Romans, Galatians, uh, stood up and said, no, it is by faith, grace through faith, that we find our salvation that there's nothing we can do to add to the work that Christ has already done. And there's nothing that you and I can do to earn our salvation. There's no amount of coin that you and I can earn that we can turn in to Christ that he would then save us for a particular price. There's nothing that you and I can do. It is the total work of Christ. It is by our complete faith in him. James is reacting to a problem that comes from a misunderstanding of faith and an overemphasis in the emotional connection of our Christian faith. People who will go to church but then not do anything about it. And it's amazing how fast this disconnect happens. James is writing in the first century. Jesus had been crucified in the mid-30s. <clears throat> James is writing 20, 30 years later. He's writing about people who will hear the word, talk about the word, discuss the word, be impressed by the word, but never actually do the word. This connection that is broken when we claim to believe one thing and then we live another. Studying the scripture and going, wow, I've never seen that before. Wow, that's impressive. Wow, that is true. But then never actually applying that truth to our living. 
having an emotional worship experience and confusing the emotional rush of a worship experience with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Confusing the electrical tingling with the leading of the Spirit that never leads to anything, that never changes anything. What happens when what you know is cut off from what you do? From what you know is cut off from who you are. Because we know who you are by what you do. You know who I am by what I do. What happens when what we claim to know is cut off from what we claim to do? To know and not do is to not know. A couple of things happen when you read Scripture and don't do it. You read a passage of Scripture. This passage is uh, intense for that moment. It is rich in that moment. You understand that this applies to your life and it applies in this situation and that circumstances. There's something you need to adjust, something you need to change because of the truth you now hear. You're moved by it. You write in your journal about it. Remember the four questions that we're asking when we read scripture. What does it say about God? What does it say about us? What does it say about me? What am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with what I have just read? To not do it. To not do it robs you of the richness of the Christian life. One, you never validate the teachings of Jesus. You never find out that what he says is actually true in real life. Now, let's just you and me be honest with each other. Here's just us in Hudson Hall, nobody else, okay? Most of you do not think the Christian life actually works. Now, you love it. It sounds wonderful. You want to cross-stitch it and put it on your refrigerator door. But when it comes to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday then it's a different law that governs your life. Because you don't think Jesus has anything to say about your career. You don't think Jesus has anything to say about what it means to be a parent. You don't think Jesus has anything to say about being a man, about being a woman, about being a couple. You don't think Jesus has anything to say about how you live in the real world. All right, now some of you have told me that. Mike, man, I love what you say. It's good stuff, but I live in the real world. Like I live on Mars during the week. Okay? Um, blessed are the peacemakers. Beautiful, isn't it? Just gives you a warm feeling inside. What about Tuesday? Are peacemakers still blessed on Tuesday? So much so that you won't repeat 
anger or increase anger when it's brought to you. Uh, you, you know what I mean. We all have that co-worker who's perpetually mad. Okay, they're mad about something. And they're always coming into your office, your cubicle, your space going, did you see this? Did you hear this? And they're telling you something. And they want you to get mad with them. Okay, because if you're mad, then I have a right to be mad. We can both be mad together. We have a big old mad. Okay, what happens if you don't? What happens if you refuse to let somebody else's anger rule your day? That even in that moment, you are obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What happens? Is the peacemaker still blessed? What happens when you disconnect? One, you don't have the chance to validate it through obedience. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Okay, you hear a teaching of Jesus, you try it, a soft answer turns away wrath. Really? Try it. Try it. It's what Jesus said. I don't know if it will work or not, but I'm going to trust that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And I'm going to do it. And you do it. And lo and behold, the temperature in the room comes down. The temperature of the conversation comes down. The person isn't mad as much as they are concerned or needy. All because you refuse to fight back. All because you believe what Jesus said. Now, when that happens, when you validate and you say, whoa, 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 whoa. I read this where Jesus said about that. I validated it. I wonder if he's telling me the truth about these other things too. Now we have the confidence to continue to obey at ever deeper and richer levels. Okay, that, that last thing that where James says, this life is blessed, the person who lives like this is blessed. Okay, that's not prosperity gospel. Okay, uh, that it means you're never sick. It never, doesn't mean you don't get a new car or anything like that. That's not what it means. It means your life is lined up. Okay, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the garden hose. Uh, how the garden hose lays in your yard all winter until you need it in the summer. And then when you try to get it to work, it's all kinked up. And you spend like three months of summer trying to get your hose unkinked so that the water will flow through it. Okay. Throughout the New Testament, there's this beautiful image about the river that flows from the throne of God. This river of life, this river of goodness, this river of grace, this river of love that flows from the throne of God. And you and I are connected to that throne through the pipes of our life. Now what we want is for our life to be as straight as it can possibly be. So there's no kinks, bends, loops, clogs that would hinder the love of God flowing in us and through us to the people and the community around us. Okay, disobedience, hard-heartedness, slow to understand. All these become bends and crooks in the pipe that slows down the flow of God's grace and love through us, in us, to those around us. Blessed means 
That pipe is straight. Nothing in you that hinders the movement of God through you. Let me tell you what else it means. It means you can get a bigger pipe. Why is it that we always think that when Jesus teaches us something and teaches us some new, tr- new truth that it's always going to be condemnation? It's always going to be some judgment. It's always going to be something where you feel bad. It wasn't a real good church service because I feel too good, right? It's not Jesus unless I feel bad. What if Jesus is saying for your blessed life, Mike, you have done well with the little pipe you have, but I've got bigger pipes. Do you want more of what you have with me, through me, and me, do you want more? Do you want a bigger pipe? Why do we always assume that God is going to judge us rather than continue to invite us to more and more of his life? That's what that term blessed means. That you're totally aligned. That you don't look into the mirror of Scripture and recognize who you are in the mirror. Yes, you recognize you are a sinner. Yes, you are saved by grace. No, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. That's just one part of the message. The other message is that you're chosen. That you're loved. That you have a father. You have a savior. You have an identity that is determined by the cross not by anything that the world says. How messed up is it for you to look in the mirror of Scripture and know that and then step away and forget it? Test me, Jesus says, and I will show you. Validate his word. Obey his word. Remember who you are. And we're coming to a part of our service where we encourage you to remember. It's a sharing of the Lord's Supper. And as our deacons move now to their stations to serve you, We want you to use these few moments to prepare your own life for the receiving of the Lord's Supper. If you belong to Jesus and he belongs to you, then the bread and the cup, they belong to you. And we welcome you now to join us at the table of the Lord that we might remember who he is, what he's done, and who we are. Let's share the supper together.
going to explode all over me. Y'all know that, don't you? On the night he is betrayed, our Savior took the bread and passed it around when his disciples were eating it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. It would be a long time before they really fully understood what Jesus said in that moment. A moment like now. bread comes to you, comes to me. And you realize Jesus gave his life for us. What are we supposed to do with this? The only thing you can. Give your life for him. This is the body of Christ, broken for you. Take and eat all of it. It's not life for life. It's not even. It's simply the only thing we can do. Give our life to the one who gave his life for us. So we pray now that you receive everything we are and everything we have. We ask only that you use them for the glory of your name, in which we now pray. Amen. The blood ran from his face, dripped from his hands, poured from his side. the unbelievable cost of Emmanuel, God with us. All the times that you thought nobody caught you, all the times I thought nobody would know, sin has a cost. And that cost is always paid. looking at the cost. The blood of Christ shed for sinners like you and me. Take and drink all of it. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm not going to do anything to put you on the spot or embarrass you at all. But for some of you, you're thinking about that relationship with Jesus and you really don't know what it means. That's okay. I don't expect you to have it all worked out. I know you got lots of questions. Our ministers are waiting for you right now at the Welcome Center. We would love nothing more than to pick up this conversation right here to tell you about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he can do, what he will do in your life. Don't leave with those questions unanswered. Perhaps it's to come be part of Brentwood Baptist Church. We'd love to have you part of our congregation. So you come. Wherever you are, the Lord is waiting for you 
as you come where you are. Church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray now the choices we make are exactly what you want.